This is Restless. Welcome back everyone to Restless. I am your local resident, not usually the host, Pastor Michael. And uh, Matt is not with me today uh, because he had some other things to do. And I do have somebody with me. It's not just me. Don't worry. Um, sometimes we've done those in the past. I don't think anybody cares for it. They just, they don't want just me talking. Uh, and so it's not just me today. This is actually the second time around I'm going to be recording uh, with the man I'm about to introduce. We evidently had some technical difficulties. And by we, I mean me <laughs> and somehow did not actually record our interview the first time around. So maybe this will be better by the providence of God, uh, but I have with me today, Ron Young. Ron is uh, you know, former pastor, former uh, headmaster of Providence Academy, a classical Christian school in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh, he is also the founder of the Palatine Institute, which we'll be talking a bit about today. But uh, welcome to the show, Ron. Thanks for having me. Kind of this welcome awesome. back, you know, welcome yes. back, kind of, but only you and I got to hear the first time around. Yeah, it was excellent, by the way. <laughs> it was so, so good. There's no way we so, will ever attain such perfection in podcasting. It's just too bad, you know, but we'll try. <laughs> we'll try. This is why the Lord just decided to cut it, because if somebody had heard that podcast, they could never listen to another podcast again. You know, they yeah. would just be like, this Very was true. it. This was everything. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Ron, uh, you know, I, I would love for you to just spend some time and talk a bit about who you are today. We're going to have a, a bit of a wider ranging conversation specifically about classical Christian education and what you're doing with the Palatine Institute that you've started. Um, but if you want to start by just sharing a bit about yourself, maybe a bit about your story, especially as it kind of led you to uh, this place where you have a passion for these things. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I, I grew up as a pastor's kid. Um, my dad was a pastor in the Christian Missionary Alliance. Um, we He pastored for uh, my entire childhood in one church out in California in a uh, kind of in an impoverished area. Uh, and I grew up thinking that was normal life. Uh <laughs> It wasn't until I was in uh, middle school, seventh grade, that I got bus to Napa, California, um, and realized that I stepped off the bus, and my friends and I all realized for the first time we were poor, and <laughs> uh, the contrast was uh, was was pretty amazing. Um, but it was there that I found uh, a lot of people who thought differently, um, that were more like me. I, I guess I was always a very curious person. Um, I always question things. Uh, you know, I, I remember tell, asking my dad a lot, like, you know, dad, you know, they keep praying for the same things. Why doesn't someone just do something? And uh, I, my dad was very patient with them and just talked a lot. Um, you know, mindset, you know, how people's minds are set in a particular way. Uh, it, it tends to lead to victimhood, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and finding, uh, rescue rather than in a sense, working your way out of a problem that, that sounds weird, but, um, but it was always frustrating to me. 
And uh, that's kind of my natural bent too, is I, I'm pretty uh, like, let's look for solutions here. Mm-hmm. Yes. We're praying and we're asking God for God's guidance and his power in our lives. And, um, uh, but we have a, we, God has given us the capacity to do things. So I, I get, when I'm in Napa, I, I, find people who think differently. I'm very attracted to that uh, group of people. Um, I get a, I had a horrible education in grammar school. Um, but by the time I was in um, my junior and senior year, I had some great teachers. And um, I think the thing that it, it ignited my imagination the most was in honors and AP English, um, we studied poetry. And, uh, of course I loved it. I just didn't have anyone to tell, uh, cause I was a jock. I played football, through, <laughs> you know, we even went, we even went to see the opera. You're not twice. sharing your favorite poems in the locker room then. No, no, we're not. No, no. I didn't know about warrior poets, uh, until later <laughs> in life. Uh, anyway, I, uh, I, I think that gave me this deep love for literature um, I think there's, a, uh, you know, not just, not just in good books, but also poetry and, um, just that, like, I know this means something. I want to find out what it means. And, uh, I go off to college. I went to Azusa Pacific university class, uh, a Christian university to play football. Uh, I, I started off again, uh, partly because I was enamored with my friends in Napa um, I wanted to have money. Um, I liked math. I started off as an engineering major um, with the goal to to not be poor. And uh, and uh, anyway, the goal, of many, uh, the goal in, of many growing up in the situation, right? I, absolutely. I get that. Absolutely. Anyway, while I was in college, I uh, got involved with a ministry called Young Life. And absolutely loved it. Got um, just very hooked into young life. Uh, eventually, I felt God calling me. Well, I'll, I'll put it this way: I was more interested in doing ministry with the youth than doing other things. Um, I ended up after three and a half years of college. In other words, if you if you do the math, and when those semesters fall, you realize. I played my last semester of football and then dropped out of school. Um, You know, the jock thing to do in part because I was struggling with what I was going to do. I knew at that time, I didn't want to be an engineer. I was struggling with God's call in my life. Um, Eventually I, I succumbed to it, went back and finished my degree in biblical studies rather than engineering or mathematics. Um, I have a minor in mathematics and then, um, you know, I I didn't want to be full-time staff with Young Life because you have to do a lot of your own raising of money. Um, I, ironically, I still do that, but um, <laughs> I didn't want to do that. I wanted to spend my time um, ministering to, to youth. And so I was approached to do a, a church partnership. And um, my family of, of origin... Um, Two thirds of our family were into uh, my my dad's my dad's dad 
and his brother were CMA. And then my dad's dad's sister uh, and her family were evangelical covenant. So a third of our family, you might say, was was covenant. Young Life approached me and says, hey, why don't you do this church partnership halftime, Young Life halftime as a youth pastor at the Evangelical Covenant Church in town. And because I had that familiarity, um, that's that's what I did. I loved my time in the Covenant Church in Azusa, California. I loved my time. So it was a total of about nine and a half years. I did Young Life. Six and a half years, I was full-time doing youth ministry in the area. And uh, I really felt God was leading me to the pastorate. So I did a year of graduate study at Azusa, and then I did the rest of my seminary at North Park Theological Seminary in Chicago. And um, I took as many classes as I could in Christian education and did a couple independent studies on human development because that fascinated me. And um, because I I like to learn, I like to teach. So um, from there, I got called to a a church here in Green Bay. Uh, I spent 12 years there in uh, ministry in that church. Uh, During that time, I uh, two things were going on. One is the denomination was becoming more and more liberal, um, and I was becoming more and more reformed. So I I had um, again I love to study. I love to read. I I and I would I would be studying scripture and I would see these things that I'm in scripture, and I'd be reading commentaries and I and it's, I don't see what I'm, I don't see in the commentary, some of the things I'm seeing Hmm. in scripture. And so I'd pick up the phone, I'd call one of my seminary professors and I'd say, Hey, I I see this thing. And they'd go, Oh yeah. So-and-so talked about that. And this, you know, and they'd come and we'd have a talk about it. And, and one of the things that was fascinating to me is how much ancient, the more ancient literature I read, um, especially ancient Greek and, and uh, Roman literature, um, I would see things in scripture that it seemed to me clearly is referring to these things, or there's a definite connection. And, uh, and I couldn't tell why commentaries just didn't say anything. Yeah. And wow, that's uh, such a, that's I'm, such an interesting point. That yeah. you're able to see this because you're kind of immersing yourself more into the cultural context of the scripture itself. Yes. My, um, uh, one of my professors said that in the, you know, in the 19th century, you had, uh, you know, liberalism is trying to, you know, say things like uh, the Bible's borrowing from pagan myths in order to, you know, do the, the creation story, the flood story or all all that, that and um, basically if you want to get published in a conservative or um, uh, commentary uh, you can't bring that stuff up so it, it sounded like the the people who know just don't include it in their commentaries because they're not going to get published hmm. so you have to go to other sources to to find it i i find uh like Currently, Baylor University, there's a lot of interesting stuff um, looking at uh, um, 
the connection between uh you know like ancient rhetoric and uh and and paul or you know the there there's some good stuff happening today but man it it was a uh, it was it was rough for me but i i um but in the things that i did see especially when when i was looking at things like type uh, uh typology and and um uh connections between old testament and new testament um the sources i found that i that that I found supported what I was looking at in scripture, almost all of them were reformed people. It was like Peter Lightheart, you know, and, and folks like that. And, um, you know, and I, I had already bought into infant baptism. I'd already, you know, there's all these different things, um, you know, covenant theology just made complete sense, you know, all these dominoes kept falling and, uh, it was clearly, I was preaching, from a reform perspective. And um, I don't know if that got me in trouble at my church. I don't think they really, because I'm not teaching uh, Presbyterianism or Calvinism. I'm preaching scripture. Yeah. You're just, here's what the Bible says. Here's my explanation of what it says. You're not using maybe the theological jargon that you would get in a, you know, reform systematic theology or something. Right. So it's not as perceptible in the same way. Absolutely. So um, in the, in the same time um, I had, uh, I had, when I went to seminary, I had one child. By the time I left seminary, I had two children. Um, So early in my ministry in Green Bay, we were looking at uh, schooling for my oldest son. Uh, He had, um, we thought because of his birth date, kind of a late birth date, and because of his, um, you know, some of his proclivities, it would probably be best for him to start school at six instead of five. And so that was our plan. But sometime before his fifth birthday, he started reading like street signs. And we were like, oh, <laughs> maybe we should teach him to read. Yep. And so we started to teach him to read. And we thought we can't delay his education um, because he's already reading. Um, and so I had thought I had a whole year to figure this out. And nope, I we just got to send him to school. So yeah. he went to a public school for kindergarten. And that was, um, thankfully, we had a really uh, old school teacher and she was great. But uh, we knew that we were never going to have our kids in public school. Um, just a lot of the. Why was it at the time? When was this? When would this have been? This would have been in the early 2000 like 2000 ish yep right so what yeah what were the reasons at that point that you were thinking well one is i'll give you an example my wife is my wife is helping out in the kindergarten class and she goes to do an errand for the teacher she walks through the hall and there was a first grader in the hall with other kids with the teacher the first grade teacher standing at her door this kid does something he yells out SOB only, you know, the words just yells it out loud and nothing's done. And Mm -hmm. my wife kind of stops and looks at the teacher and the teacher looks back at her and says, Oh, you know, kind of shrugs it off. Like, Oh yeah. Kids these days. And then she says to this boy, try not to yell in the hall. 
<laughs> and yeah. and uh, so this school, this school, if that ch- same child would have thrown an aluminum can into the trash and not the recycling, he may have gotten sent to the principal's office. Wow. Right? So yeah. they have they have morals. They're just not Christian morals. Yeah, right, right. They're just right? not Christian morals and they don't align with reality. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that was just that's just one example. There, there are several examples. Um, you know, one of the others was uh, they, the t- teacher says, you know, your your son is a, a very active boy. Uh, he he needs a lot of movement. Um, and, and I understand that. And that's fine with me. And, and he does really great. But I know that when he goes to first grade, they're going to want to put him on Ritalin. And uh, we're like, um, yeah, we don't want that. Like, we don't want drugs yeah. right away. Um, and um, boy, yeah, there, there's just a number of, th- oh, and here's the last one. Last one was, um, it was coming up towards Christmas and he comes home and, you know, Hey, what'd you learn today in school? And he said, we learned about Hanukkah. Oh yeah. Tell me about Hanukkah. You know, talked about the menorah being lit and, and things. I go, well, how'd the menorah stay lit? And he says, well, it was a miracle. God did a miracle. And I go, wow. So they talked about God doing miracles at, at school. No. Well, how do you know that God did it? Well, that's the only way dad, God, God did the miracle. I said, but they didn't talk about God and, and it being a miracle. No, they just said that, you know, I go, okay. So a day later or two days later or something, he comes home and he talks about Kwanzaa. We'd learned about Kwanzaa, you know, well, what's Kwanzaa? And we talk about Kwanzaa and, uh, and I'm waiting for him to come home and tell us they talked about Christmas. They did not. They did not really? talk about Christmas. Oh man. They talked, to, they talked about winter and the solstice and you know whatever it is or and um you know they had their winter concert you know those types of things but they didn't talk about so my son at five knew that the whole world changes because of christmas everything is about christmas except you don't talk about it in school well so school's pretty irrelevant wow and i thought that that was that was horrible yeah. Um, wow. No, it's just, it's interesting to hear. I'm just, I, you know, I like to ask people, you know, what brought them to certain positions. And so um, it's interesting to hear what you're saying as a father, uh, particularly of, you know, some very active young boys. Uh, whenever I hear these stories, cause it is, it's so common that particularly young yeah. boys who are not made to sit in desks, right? One of my, one of my parenting philosophies is that little boys are made to haul wood like they're just made they they have yeah. an almost unlimited amount of energy and you can just work with them and they can run around and play forever and then they come inside after you know running around and working hard and playing for 5 hours and they're like all right dad let's wrestle and it's like guys yeah. i'm tired like i don't know how you do this this is amazing and so even just thinking about that as parents you know anybody who's listening to this when you think about yeah what kind of of worldview is being brought to even just what a child should be right like what they should be like yes. should they be able to sit like at a, a desk all day and if like not there's something wrong world. with them well that's that's a you know pretty sad worldview yeah and um so we we um anyway i'm a why guy 
I, I, you are too. I know that. And so I'm, I, I go back and I'm looking, okay, well, why school? What's the purpose of education? Right. Why, why do we do any of this? And so uh, my wife and I sat down and we decided let's, let's begin with the end in mind. If, when our son leaves us, what kind of man do we hope him to be? And when we put down our list of things, it was almost all about character, right? Yeah. We want him to have these kind of virtues. We want him to be wise. We want him to have a good work ethic. We want him to be uh, logical. We want him to uh, be able to speak well. Uh, we want him to to be uh, to have good manners. We want him to be kind. Um. We want him to have courage to be able to speak up when things are, you know, not not the way they ought to be. And, you know, so we had all these this list. And then the question was, is, well, what kind of education would be best to to do that? And I I went back and I started reading all my philosophy of education books from seminary and I brought others. Eventually, I, I stumbled across the uh, Recovering the Lost Tools of Learning by Doug Wilson. Who, who had read Dorothy Sayers' essay on the Lost Tools of Learning and thought, hey, let's, let's try a school uh, based upon um, this trivium, the grammar, logic, rhetoric. And then he, he wrote the book after that experiment had been going on for about a decade. And uh, I, I read it and I was like, it just struck a chord with me. This is this is what we should do. And so um, Providence Academy was already in existence here in Green Bay, but I was, you know, pastoring a small church and, uh, you know, I, between funerals and weddings and men's breakfasts and other things, Saturday was another work day and Sunday is very busy. And, and I thought if, if I'm going to have a, if I'm going to be involved in my kids' education um, and in their lives, uh, homeschooling classically made the most sense to us. So we we started homeschooling classically our our children. Um, like I said, I, I stayed at the church for years and then I I resigned. Um, and then uh, later, a little later on, I was uh, asked to help plant a church on the other side of town, and we um, we used the Heidelberg Catechism as kind of our statement of faith. Um, I was going to bring in the three forms of unity, uh, and the the plan was is that we we're probably going to be a CREC church, um, but as in God's providence, uh, I got a phone call and the headmaster at Providence Academy called me because I had done chapels for them from time to time. Mm -hmm. I was, a, I, I, I wanted to see them do well. Um, but the headmaster there called me and asked if I would be willing to teach Latin. And I was bivocational trying to start the church. And um, I ended up uh, teaching Latin there part-time. And uh, this, then they asked me to teach full time. I thought that that would be a, you know, that was a big pay cut and, uh, and it limited my time. So I, I kind of threw the application in the trash can. I came home and I told my wife, I said, hey, you'll never guess what 
what uh, Bill Gussie asked me. He was the headmaster before me. You never guess what they asked me. She says, what? She goes, they asked if I'd want to teach full time there. And she goes, oh, did you pray about it? I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> so guess you what happened? I got, got caught. caught. I prayed about it. <laughs> I prayed about it. And, uh, and then I was teaching there full time the next year. Yeah. And at this the same part time, of the blessing uh, of a godly wife, by the way, find yourself a godly is. wife. This is, this is great. Very true. Cause if it was up to my own way, I would, I would, uh, be lost. Right. She's yeah. Yeah. So I prayed about it. I ended up teaching there full time and then doing the, and still working on this church. And, um, it, it, it was like in a very short amount of time, all the all the men who were helping with the leadership aspect, they we didn't have elders yet, but they were involved in the church plant, all had things going on in their life where they had to pull back tremendously in their involvement. You know, one of them had twins, they were premature, you know, helping out, you know, so those types of things. They were, none of them were bad excuses. They were all legitimate things. Again, God's providence. Well, this PCA church uh, was starting in town. Jacob's Well PCA church, uh, very similar theologically. I mean, pretty much identical. Um, and so we voted to shut down our church and uh, kind of help people move into other churches. Many of them went to Jacob's Well. If you went to the OPC church in town, uh, we had a couple that went to the EPC church in town and, uh, you know, we had a couple Baptists and one who went to a Lutheran church, uh, but we, we kind of got everyone settled and Christmas Eve was our last service. Um, we, uh, uh, and I just figured, um, I'm going to finish out the school year and we'll just kind of see where God uh, leads me, and uh, I was looking at perhaps going back to seminary, uh, getting some more reformed credentials or something. Um, so during that uh, spring, I get a I get a knock on the door at at school, and the headmaster let me know that he had resigned, and he's going to be there through the end of June, and that the board is going to ask me to be the headmaster, and I should consider taking it. And I was, um, it, it was like, this was out of the blue. I never even considered that before. And um, again, <laughs> with a little bit of prayer, by the time they asked me later that week, I already knew this is what God wanted me to do. And so I said yes to that. Um, and so I worked at this classical Christian school for um, it's been like, if I include the time I was part-time those, and then that teaching and then adding the headmaster and this year, it's like a total of 13 years. Um, 10 of it, I was headmaster. We, I added the high school, we bought the property. It's, I mean, it's a beautiful school. Um, it really is. I've been to, you know, they're recently built built school uh new new building and it's man it's cool it's exciting yeah. it's exciting to yeah. see um so yeah so can you can we then um back up a little bit you talked a little bit about Dorothy Sayers and the trivium yeah. um and how you kind of 
you know, found your way uh, into classical education. But can we back up and just, are you willing to explain for those who maybe don't know um, what exactly is a classical education? What is, and then, and maybe even more specifically, what is classical Christian education? Absolutely. So this is a, this is actually an ongoing discussion because um, whatever was classical was, was uh, kind of lost. And what we're doing is trying to remake something that none of us had ever been in. Yeah. If Right. So Dorothy Sayers had taken the seven, there's the seven liberal arts. There's the trivium of grammar, logic, or dialectic, and uh, rhetoric. And those are the arts of language, grammar, uh, logic, or dialectic, and, and rhetoric. And then uh, the quadrivium is the four mathematical arts of uh, arithmetic, uh, geometry, music, and astronomy, which is numbers, numbers in uh, space, that's geometry, music is numbers in time, and then astronomy is, is uh, numbers in time and space, right? So that's quadrivium. So what Dorothy Sayers did was she made, uh, she noted that um, in her understanding of human development, uh, this different stages of human development seem to align nicely with the trivium. So, you know, kids in a particular uh, time are really able to, um, you know, absorb knowledge, you know, to re repeat back and know things. And then they develop into a part where they have a, a way, a time in which they can understand things that is they're capable of logical or logic or reasoning. And then um, they develop a little bit more as they get around 16 ish, uh, where they're, they have a desire to um, uh, express themselves and, um, and they, they can learn rhetoric, right? So, um, so, so Doug Wilson had read this essay and thought, "Hey, let's let's try it," and they started Logos School in Moscow, Idaho. And um, you know, by the uh, early '90s, this was back in 1980. In the early '90s, there was a, a uh, he wrote this book and got such response from all over the United States. Uh, he started a conference, and um, one of the group of parents was from Green Bay, Wisconsin, who came. And in 1993, uh, Providence Academy began, and the AC, the Association of Classical Christian Schools, started, and we were one of the founding members. Now, so so the the K through 12 school focuses on the, those language arts of the trivium. Okay, in the first stage of the movement, um, much of it had to do with uh, developing a Christian worldview, right? Yeah. So th through these things, our students are going to learn uh, to know the, a Christian worldview, to understand it, explain it, think logically with it, and then communicate it well, okay? So that was, that was the first stage. And, and what happened is, is you started having all these people graduating from classical Christian schools and then coming back and teaching. And these this first generation, you might say, 
um, recognize some of the things missing, right? Um, one testimony I heard from uh, from one of these uh, teachers was that she had gone to see this cathedral in Europe, and the only thing she could think of is, you know, the heresy that was taught at that pulpit, or, right, it was very much worldview ideas. Yeah. And yet, they're sitting in this, one of the most beautiful... Yes. Right? There's... So what's going on here? Why why aren't they able to enjoy the beauty of this? What's right? So the training had to do with more of the worldview in the the classical Christian schooling 2.0. A lot of the work uh, I would say is credited to uh, people like James K. Smith, uh, who wrote Desiring the Kingdom, uh, Imagining the Kingdom, those uh, um, which is a, a basically a reminder of the Augustine view that we have misordered loves yeah. or, or misordered desires, and that um, what helps us to order our desires are not necessarily um, the uh, didactic teaching. <laughs> yep. It's it's more of the culture, right? Mm-hmm. So this the enculturation of things that can direct your, your desires in the proper order. Yeah. And that, that, so that's, that's classical Christian education 2.0. Okay. So maybe and, you're uh, not just as much focusing on the transcendental of truth, but you're also trying to, you know, with that include goodness and beauty as well. So you're getting yes. a much more kind of full orbed education. Absolutely. So, Love it. for instance, you you mentioned visiting our our campus at uh, in Green Bay. Um, most people, when they saw it going up, assumed it was a church being built, yep. right? It's it's got these high vaulted ceilings. It's it's just made for beauty, and um, the the idea is is that the architecture itself, kids going there are thinking that this is um, one. They it's it's important, right? The whole architecture of the building is not, this isn't some school. Yes. This is, this is a big deal. Um, it, it also, you get together and you don't feel cozy. You feel small mm-hmm. in the, in the chapel, right? Cause of the, the, the high ceiling, the vaulted arches, it, it, it helps us direct our eyes upward and not just to each other. Um, the way I'd explain it to people who are visiting is, is um, if our school was simply meant for people to be ready to work, um, our school would look like a cubicle. Uh, but we're doing soul work here, and so it looks more like a church. Hmm. But even that, okay, and this is going to sound really horrible. So uh, I'm used to saying these things on my podcast, uh, but... Um, when I say it looks like the, a church, there's a lot of people who have no idea what that means. Yeah. Uh, people who go to church every day, they go to a box store. Yes. Or right. to a mall. They don't, it they is. don't go to a wow. church. Yeah. So, yeah. You just go, you do, you go into a warehouse um, or, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. Or a theater. Cause I feel comfortable in the theater. Yeah. So um, it, it's um so it's it's a very counter idea. Like we're trying to rebuild Christendom and giving students and training students um, and parents really because we're doing it together. Where the parents are given the 
um, command to uh, raise children in the paideia of the Lord, and we're partnering with them in that idea. Um, and so it's um, it's very countercultural. The, the hope is, and, and I hope your audience can appreciate this, our hope is, is that our kids are going to be more Christian than American. Yeah. Yeah, well, and even, I mean, when you study the the history of modern education um, and educational theory, you think that so much of it was designed um, within the, the, I'm speaking of uh, public education, so much of modern public education anyway, was designed to create this kind of cohesive culture. It was yes. not necessarily designed to transmit ideas or facts, although that's part of it, obviously, but it was actually, I mean, it it is those who helped to found it and and those who you know develop the philosophy that it much of it is based upon um they did this because they knew that this is how we make people this this yeah. is how we turn people into the kinds of people we want them to be and that's what yeah. education ultimately is so to have that end goal i love that what you were saying when you um, first started to work through this with your son and thinking, okay, what do we want him to be? Yeah. Well, that's going to direct us how we want to go about educating. And then to think about education, not as purely a transmission of facts from one person to another. And then you can then regurgitate those onto some kind of standardized test. Uh, but rather, you are making a thinking person. You're making a curious person. You're making a, a, a worshipful person. You're making a humble person. You're making somebody full of character, um, giving them hard work and things like this. Uh, that is, it's just so nice to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Just so yeah. nice to hear those things. Yes. So it's, um, it's been a wonderful thing and it's been, a. Uh, I don't know, a passion of mine for, for quite a while. Um, I, I had the, um, one, one of the things I realized is the mission of the school is wonderful, but it's only going to succeed if the parents have a, the same view yeah. or at least their view of, what education ought to be about um, is kind of pushed forward to that that same thinking. And, and uh, is, most parents have not had a, a broader vision of what, say, the kingdom of God is, because most of their churches don't talk about anything other than a personal private religion and uh, promises of personal peace and affluence. And um, to use Francis Schaeffer's critique of America. Um, and, and so while I was still headmaster, um, I began to try to do programs or things that would help educate parents. And um, so we then ended up taking some of the, the ideas of what we wanted to do in that broader cultural thing and separate it from Providence Academy, and we call it Palatine Institute. And um, as I talked to the, the board about 
um, stepping away from being headmaster there and um, transitioning out of that into something else. Uh, so I've been teaching there for a year, not quite full time, but almost full time. And then taking the Palatine Institute, making its own separate 501c3. And, um, and this idea is um, we want to help educate people in terms of uh, developing Christian culture. And uh, I, my podcast is called A Quarter Three Strands. And the three strands that aren't easily broken, <laughs> I, I have them as uh, the family, the church, and school or education. And when those three things are working together, it really produces great results. Yeah. 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 And I recommend, by the way, anybody uh, who's listening to check out that podcast, I've really benefited from it uh, and have really, really enjoyed it. Ron, why? So this is, you know, something that you've had, you know, as a vision, like you said, you were doing it with the school. You've now thought I would like to step back and focus my time primarily on this. Yeah. Um, why does it matter? I mean, why is it why is it important to do that? Because the church needs to be faithful, right? The church being the people, the yeah, the, the, God's people need to be faithful. And if if we don't have a vision of what that faithfulness looks like, um, it's it's difficult to be faithful. Uh, second is our culture in America has gone so far um, away from, I would say, a, a, a Christian culture um, that it, it is, um, it, it needs to be revived. And, and for a couple of reasons, one is because it's good, right? Yeah. Like in that philosophic sense that mm -hmm. uh, something's good as if it is fitting for its purpose. And uh, a culture uh, uh, human beings having dominion and working together um, in the preservations of family and having civil institutions that help um, the flourishing of that community. Um, it's a good when it's all flourishing, but if it's not aligned with what God has taught us in his word, it won't be flourishing. It's going to be a culture of death. Hmm. And, and we see this, we're going just wacko in our, our world. The second part too is in the it, we need to re-evangelize the the country, um, right? And um, the the further we've gone away from uh, the idea, once you abandon the idea of God, and you decide that you're a secular place and you can't talk about God or God is not a part of it, um, it it becomes a very nihilistic. There's no point to culture. There's no objective truth. There's just subjectiveness. And so the, the, um, I, I think that apologetics has, a um, has its uses. Um, but, but I think in, in this moment in time, apologetics, um, won't have as great of impact as a, a community that is flourishing in that the culture that they've developed Right in how we've ordered our our lives, our ordered our time, ordered how we um, we feast and we we dance and we we in, enjoy how we forgive one another, how we care for one another's burdens, uh, how we pray, how we love all these the the manifestation of uh, 
what God has instructed us to do in our community, uh, as that flourishes, I think that is going to be the thing that's going to turn people's hearts towards the Lord. It's, I want what they have. Yeah, I love that. And what's so interesting about how you just worded that is we've had conversations recently about a lot of this push from things like, for instance, the Keller Institute or the Keller Center at the Gospel Coalition, things like this, that really they talk about what they call cultural apologetics. And they are they explain the problem in a similar way that you explain it. But then the solution seems to be, well, let's write more articles about those issues. Uh, right. And so yeah. you're not you're you're actually running into maybe a similar problem that you talked about with certain aspects of homeschool that were focused on worldview alone. It's obviously a good thing. But yeah. when when it's only that and you don't have the element of actually lived out truth and goodness and beauty in such a way that you can invite people into it, that people can see, wow, I love how that father loves his children and the children love their father and how they just live together in this, you know, organic and, and uh, healthy and beneficial and fruitful way. And the kinds of people that are coming out of that school. Wow. I want to be like them. I want to see what are they doing? Why are they doing it this way? Um, And then being able to point people to Christ through that. So in as, instead of saying, Hey, we live in the home of the pagan, we live in the home of the secularist, the world is theirs. And so we just need to find our way to talk to them in their house, right? It's like, no, we have a house. God has built himself a house. And we're going to invite people into that house because that's how we live this way here. Hey, come on in. Like you can come in, enjoy things with us, right? Learn how to find that joy that you can't find elsewhere. So I love that. I love I love the way that you have put this. I almost thought you might use the word cultural apologetics. And I and I thought it'd be an interesting contrast because we've just been, uh, oh. you know, not saying it's a horrible thing, but saying, what even is this? What do you mean by cultural apologetics? But the yeah. idea of living out these things uh, is Absolutely. really just a beautiful idea. And, and, you know, there's a need for articles. As long as it's not just sitting on your desk, it's, yes. it's, calling people up. Our, our first initial project has been hospitality, right? So we we did this thing called Dinners for Eight, uh, you know, coming out of COVID. Um, we had people, families from the school sign up. And it's just, you have a host family and uh, three other couples. And uh, so eight people in all. And uh, it was simply a simple supper together in someone's home. And as they ate, the questions that they were supposed to ask each other is, uh, you know, what, uh, what's the hope you have for your kids? Um, what, um, what, uh, what could we be doing to, you know, bring that to fruition, you know, those types of questions. And, uh, I'll tell you they the, the response to it was so phenomenal and, uh, it's amazing how many of them have never like just gotten together with adults over a meal and had a discussion. And had re- and and that too, having intentional questions where you're actually talking about the things of life. It's not just yes. the niceties, which you have, and that's a wonderful thing. But to have real conversation over a real meal, there's yeah. something that like you can't simulate that in any other way. Yeah, the um, one of them I remember in our group had mentioned how they've been over to someone's house many times for Bible study, and you go in and you do the Bible study itself, and then you leave. Yep. And they've never sat and had like 
conversation. Hmm. And, uh, and this is a lost art and it's, yes. it's one of the things we have to do. Um, so some of the things that we'll be doing here pretty soon is not only the hospitality um, t- training people, how to have people over, um, how to have conversations with one another by doing it as an example. Um, but we also want to have dances. Uh, and we talked about this, you and I, at one point. And, and part of it is, again, the, the, I, we can talk to kids till they're blue in the, we're blue in our face about um, God's plan for uh, marriage and the, the two genders of male and female. Um, but there's just an onslaught every TV commercial or, you know, now Disney movies or whatever, they're always going to have, uh, gay or lesbian couples in it. And, uh, and so there's this onslaught, but if our children, our own children witness and experience the beauty of, uh, dancing where you have a male who leads and a female who, who, um, goes along with that leading and, uh, together there's just this beautiful thing um it's going to be very difficult to convince them that it should it could be any other way so we need to and and the other is just dancing is just fun yeah right we're uh, and um and so we we need to have something good and wholesome for our kids um that and it just it's just all it's just fun and it's beautiful and and all ages could be involved in the same kind of dancing um and and so here coming in the future, we'll be talking about um, how to have feasts, for instance. What does that mean? Uh, why I think that the in the Protestant Reformation, because the the Catholic Church took the idea of feasting, you know, during the feudal times, you know, the the lords would uh, they were on the hook for giving their serfs a day off from work and they would provide food and they would, and it was oriented around uh, uh, either the, 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 the life of Jesus or uh, one of the saints, you know, a missionary or an apostle or something. And, and you're doing it in commemoration of their life and, and those activities. And it was just wonderful. But over time it became um, a requirement Yes. especially as society got started to become urbanized who's going to pay for this what i mean it it became a burden and i think the the reformers i think rightly kind of tried to get away from that idea that mm. the church could add these burdens on to the people yep but my feeling and that's is that's exactly opposite of a feast right like the very inherently yes. in the idea of a feast it is to take away that joy and overflowing of thanks thankfulness that uh, a feast needs yeah. <laughs> to be a real feast, and, you know? And, and we need to throw the, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes. So I, so one of my, one of my favorite things was just on, uh, you know, if we look at the birth of Christ as December 25th, John the Baptist was born on June 25th. Like, well, we don't, I, I don't know if we actually know that, but it makes sense in a liturgical calendar that we have a feast day on the June 25th. Historically, throughout Europe, they would have bonfires on June 25th because he's the precursor to the light of the world. And to remember his birth and ministry, you get around on a, on the early summer day with your friends and have bonfires. That's what a feast is. I mean, yeah. like this is how you order a life and a culture around things that are that matter, right? So, so think about it right now. 
as we're talking to, I know there's a lot of reformed people listening to our podcast, right? And when we talk about feasts, there's going to be some very uncomfortable people, okay? Evidently, it would be okay to get together and celebrate the Super Bowl or some other secular thing, some sort of trivial, meaningful, meaningless thing, and that's okay. But if we're going to get together and celebrate the life of, you know, uh, Ansgar, who brought the gospel, to, you know, to the Nordic people, you know, why? Which is which is better? Yeah, yeah. Well, and this is the thing too, uh, where there is no feasting because we are people that are made to feast. Just inherently, it's part of what God made us for. There's going to be a mm-hmm. vacuum, and that's that's going to be true filled by something or someone right right now like you said it really is oriented around things like the super bowl or other things like that Uh, but it's going to be filled and uh we should you know as christians do the filling like christ christ came in order that he might be the fullness that fills all in all well let's fill you know let's fill up our time with these kinds of feasts um, that we can point to him. I love it. I love it. So, yeah, so this is part of the, you know, the work of the Palatine Institute. Um, and, you know, where can people go if they want to find out more about what you're doing there? Yeah, absolutely. Our website is uh, palatineinstitute.org, uh, palatineinstitute.org. And there's information on there and uh, you can get to the uh, podcast from there as well. Um, I've been only working like very part-time-ish on the Palatine Institute. Uh, Come this summer, I'll be able to invest a lot more time into it. Um, I'm also, one of the things I'm interested in is helping start and uh, consult with schools and other ministries to have them flourish. Um, In the fall, I'm going to be helping start a uh, classical Christian school in the Fox Valley. So if any of your listeners are from the Appleton, Nina, whatever area, Valor Classical Christian Academy, we're beginning this fall, and uh, you can look up, um, uh, you can, you know, email me, I can send you some information, Um, but I'm going to be the founding head there, I'm going to be working part-time out there, as well as doing the Palatine Institute, so that's kind of the, I'm hoping that you have some listeners in that area, so. I think we do, I actually think we do, I don't know for certain, but I think that we do, so check that out um, if you get the chance. Um, Ron, this has been great, except for the technical difficulties. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why it's always when I talk to you, but evidently it is. We will do a live in-person recording at some point um, because I want to get deep into some of the ideas that we talked about here, right? These different aspects of education and culture forming and and character forming, uh, because these are things that I think you and I um, can uh, get a lot out of each other, I think, by, by discussing a little bit deeper. Absolutely. And, and we're missing Matt too. So we are. Oh, and it would be great to get Matt in here. Um, Cause these are the conversations that we have all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Any, Absolutely. anything else Rod, that you want to share before we probably get cut off by my internet? <laughs> uh, none, none, but you know, if you ever, if you have questions, if you can't find us on uh, our website or anything um, you can, you can talk to uh, um you know, Pastor Michael or to Matt or whoever, and they can get a hold of me too. And 
um, we'll do that. So, yeah. And we'd be yeah. more, more than willing to do that. Would love to do it. So, um, yeah, check out a court of three strands, check out the Palatine Institute and, uh, let's make the, you know, Christian world more interested in educating the kinds of people that glorify God in all areas, truth, Amen. goodness, and beauty. Amen. Amen.